Some people work in nine to five jobs. I am one of the lucky ones. Somehow I landed in the dream job. Welcome to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef. Hi, I'm Lisa Mead, and for the past 27 years, I've been working on luxury super yachts in the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, and my home turf of Australia. I've cooked for royalty, heads of state, celebrities, and all walks of life. I'm going to be talking to crew, past charter guests, and loads of people that are connected to the global yachting community. We're going to hear amazing fun stories and also lots of useful information and tips. So welcome aboard. Today's guest, Margie Smith-Holt, is an inspiration to me. Leaving behind a successful career in media, Margie escaped to the islands. Today, I look forward to finding out why she did this, plus lots, lots more. Margie, welcome to my podcast. Lisa, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. I mean, you've got such an amazing story. But I should first of all ask you, where are you talking to me from? I'm um, actually in New Jersey, at the New Jersey Shore uh, in the U.S. Um, I split my time between here and New York City these days. And, of course, um, we're talking and it's winter and it's cold. (laughs) Is it? I wish I was where you are. (laughs) Yeah, definitely no snow here in the British Virgin Islands, that's for sure. Um, What's the temperature like today? Oh, you know, uh, 30s. Gosh, that's a bit chilly. It's yeah, it, it yeah. I have I have a a friend in, in St. John that I that I talk to weekly. She's she's also self-employed and she's she's my sort of a accountability partner for work. And so we'll we'll meet once a week over Zoom and and I'll I'll be here in 13 sweaters and a hat. <laughs> she pops up, you know, in her tank top. And it's like, oh, I keep forgetting. <laughs> yeah, there's a different so different world going on out there. Yeah, yeah. Now I should ask, where did you grow up? Where are you from originally? I uh, actually was was born in New Jersey, in 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 the U.S., uh, but grew up uh, in the Philadelphia suburbs. So kind of typical middle class American suburban upbringing. And what was it like growing up there? <laughs> it was, you know, I was listening to one of your other guests um, talking about her her crazy upbringing on a farm and all these amazing stories. And I just thought, this is why people ask where you grew up. It's like, no, this is, I have, I have nothing interesting like that. It's that very, what I would describe as kind of, kind of typical middle-class American. Yeah. Well, that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> when, when you were a little girl, what was, what was your dream when you grew up? What did you want to be? I, I think the, the very early years was your basic princess. princess <laughs> Other countries had those, and that sounded interesting and and fun. Um, and then uh, most seriously, probably probably a few years in there when I wanted to be a doctor because that's what I thought smart people knew because I didn't know of any other jobs, um, <laughs> which is something that became significant later, you know, right? I mean, moving to the islands and you think, I didn't know you could be a marine biologist. Right. I didn't know you could be a, <laughs> a chef on a charter yacht. Who knew about these things? I certainly um, didn't. You know, no. when when I was a little girl, I, I dreamt, still do, by the way, dreamt <laughs> of being a movie star, um, which I was quite certain I would be at some point. Um, so <laughs> I'm still planning on that. It just hasn't happened just yet. My hasn't happened just yet is a backup singer. Never wanted to be the one in the front, but wanted to be one of the three women in the background. You could do do that. I think I could. I think there's still time. Yeah, absolutely. Don't don't give on that up on that dream. That's for sure. Now, what? Okay. So you're growing up in Philadelphia. What did you do after you finished high school? So going back to the doctor thing. um, So my high school had um, a TV station. And that's where I got hooked on the whole journalism idea, ah. um, which was really being on TV. Yeah, this was so this was the 80s. This was very much, you know, it's local cable access. It was, you know, a Wayne's World kind of situation. <laughs> um, it was run by the school and we did a, a school newscast. And that's kind of where I got bit by the bug to do what that. A, what and- a great thing for the school to provide. That's so cool. It was. And it was pretty unusual back then. And, and again, you know, I think you're my age, so you have to think about this time when it says there's no smartphones, there's no internet, there's no like you're not on TV unless you're a TV star or a right. real master, right? I mean, to have this seriously local cable act, this local access to 
to be on something that your friends could then see at home on their TVs was a pretty cool thing. Definitely cool for sure. Yeah. Um, so then I knew I wanted to go to school for journalism and I, I went to uh, New York University, uh, majored in journalism. What was the first part of your career? What did you start off with? Was it radio or television? It was radio. And, you know, my friend, most of my friends at the time, you know, all kind of coming out of college with liberal arts degrees, not having jobs. Well, they either they did one of two things. They went to work on Wall Street again because it was 80, the 80s and um, Wall Street was thriving or they went to they went to law school or, or medical school. And here I am out there like, oh, I'm going to be a journalist. And I went to work <laughs> in a tiny radio station in a tiny first experience living in a small town because I went from my pretty big suburb to New York City to now what's the smallest market you can go to and work for minimum wage to get up at three in the morning to be on the radio. So, wow. um, so that was, yeah. So I told myself, okay, this will be, you know, like three years, everyone else is spending money for the next three years going to grad school. So if I don't, if I don't make some kind of a living in three years, we'll reevaluate. But um, at least, at least I was making money. It was minimum wage, but I was making money. So. so, what was the program that you did? What was it? A mix of music and um, current affairs. What sort of radio program? It was all news. It was always all news. I never did music or the DJ type thing. It was um, um, in the in the smaller stations. It would be maybe like the news cut-ins. So they would someone else would be a DJ, and you'd come on and do you know the five or ten minutes of news and in the mornings and then and then eventually um all news radio can you remember how you felt the very first time you went was it pre-recorded or live if you did this um the stories like not anchoring then that would have at least been pre-recorded and i'm i can't remember the first time i was live on the radio which is so weird isn't it i should be able to yeah. remember that <laughs> i i i did uh jazz radio um many years ago in australia and i I will, I just I was petrified the very first time I went on um, because the station that I was working at had always been purely classical and that was they were bringing in this new element of jazz and there was a, a definite disgust from the classical announcers about these dodgy re jazz radio announcers coming <laughs> in. <laughs> and so there was already kind of a little hate vibe going on and then, you know, going live, I was just so nervous. The person that had taught me how to operate everything at that point you had to do all the work yourself um yes. was standing next to me sort of you know gently massaging my shoulder as I started talking but I was freaking out <laughs> but I got through it <laughs> um I I had no idea that was part of your background yes I think it was a four four years on FM radio in Australia so that, that wow. was in another lifetime <laughs> <laughs> now you um, went you were on radio I do remember my first time going live on television. That's uh, what I wanted to ask you. <laughs> um, because it was, I, again, I so I had I'd worked in radio. I wanted to work in television. And I was probably still on the air in, in the radio and had, and had got a producer job in TV and was starting to do some stories. And so so right your first time or two, they'll let you do something that, that is pre-recorded. And I was working on a story that was airing that night. And... <laughs> funnily enough about about donald trump and the casinos <laughs> uh. when we had no idea what was yet to come um, uh. <laughs> but it was about something about defaulting on a loan for the casinos and and, and i honestly can't even remember which way it was he was going to make it or he wasn't going to make it but right before we went on the air the story changed and you know he made the payment that wasn't going to happen or or vice versa so i had i had my whole beautifully produced story <laughs> with my stand up already on all ready to go and it was like this all just changed she needs to go live <laughs> oh my quick set up everything in the studio you know, I quick wrote out what I needed to say to do the whole thing. And I got on and I got through it all fine. And that was, and, and I, we were in a bureau at the time. So you already had this kind of disconnect from all the powers that be up in the main office. And then wow. as soon as the camera turned off, I burst into tears. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. I, that, I can imagine how nerve wracking that must have been. So, so scary. Um, but 
It was, uh, and all the emotion, right? That was all just held in. But, um, but apparently, I did a good job because after that, I, you know, I started appearing more regularly, and finally, um, eventually, got a full time job doing that. That is <laughs> so. so cool. You know, I, I'm always fascinated by the the teleprompter that you guys have to read, because it. I mean, if you just take your eyes away for a second, not that you would, I guess, but. I mean, how fast is it moving? And did you ever lose track of where it was? Does it stop? If you if you stop talking, does it stop scrolling? How does it work? Well, back in my day, I'm sure it's all changed because, again, this is a lifetime. It's, it's so fun. Thank you for asking these questions. I haven't thought about this part of my life in a while. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I did that. I did that too. Yeah, that was a pretty <laughs> exciting career I had before I moved into something totally different. Yes. Uh, when I was doing it, you um, you had your own control over it, or there were, there were two different ways. One was you could actually control it yourself um, to, to control the speed and stop and start, or you could just kind of tell the person who was operating it the, the kind of speed you wanted. I Two things, I always um, had a paper copy as well. So you know you always had always had that security blanket on the desk. Just that's in, a great idea went down. And, um, and I also I wrote all my own copy. So I knew what was up there. So this kind of idea of, you know, some of these anchors so that are, that are nowadays when they're, you know, you're on for hours at a time, and everyone's writing for you and like to read things cold, like I didn't do a whole lot of that. Uh. Um, that myself, sometimes you see the iPads and all it's like, what do they do? If, that, yeah. right, if the lock screen comes on, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you your gloves on and you can't hit the hit the numbers and yeah so did like you ever over have any any awkward or funny moments with any of the words or any situations relating to the the teleprompter I can't think of one um, no sort of fumbles on some difficult spelling of a word or nah, again, or did you get the giggles ever I, sometimes I've seen news broadcasters where you know something funny is they're reading out and they just start cracking up because it it's, you know, or they've misworded it or something. None of that happened. I, I will say one of I learned this from a from another from a colleague because sometimes you would go from, you know, from some some sort of lighthearted story or you'd come out of a break and you'd be, you know, kind of joking around with the people in the studio and you'd come into something serious. She'd put like happy faces and sad faces like on the <laughs> on the prompter or on the paper, but just to sort of remind you like, you know, you're make you know, you're chatting in between, but you're coming in, you know, telling some some horrible stories. So don't be laughing when you get to that, which yeah, that's the showbiz aspect of it, I guess. So <laughs> Yeah, because you're right, though. I mean, if you've just been, you know, chatting about something fun and light and then the next minute it's some horrible, you know, car crash and you're smiling and happy while you're reading it out, it may not go down too well. (laughs) What's wrong with this woman? Exactly. (laughs) Are there any moments in your television or radio career that you're really proud of? One day I will I will have the the exact succinct answer to this question um, because there's just there, there were so many just so many moments and I'm and and again I feel like I feel like as a report sometimes I'm the worst storyteller but there was a case early in my Philadelphia television career a, a horrible case where a, a young teenager was um, beaten to death on the steps of a church by a gang of other kids Ugh. and this became a horrific in its own right, but a, a huge story in Philadelphia because it ended up in the overhaul of the, the city's 911 emergency system, which failed that night. We, the, the the family uh, of that boy were this just these re- remarkable, just remarkable people, just an amazing family, but who started out very wary of, as as you would, of all the press attention that was suddenly thrust on them. Yes. And I, I remember going up to the house that day and, and I was at a I was new at, at an I was new at a new station at the time and and they were trying to do things differently, a little more serious minded. This whole idea of, you know, the horde of reporters and cameras and microphones would pound on somebody's door and ask them to talk. And and I and I remember one of the managers of my station, you know, I'd said, you know, I think I want to go up and try to try to talk to the family. And he says, No, I think that's, you know, we don't want to do that. I said, Well, I'll I'll be sensitive about it. You know, we'll see how it goes. And and I went up there with my photographer you know, put the left the camera in the car, went up to the door, knocked on the door, and the and the two younger kids, his, they had there were this boy was the oldest of three. The two younger kids came out and kind of, um, you know, unleashed like all 
everything that had been building up in the, you know, in the week since this had happened and all the media calls and just, you know, why are you knocking on the door and and kind of yelling at, at me and the photographer. And we just, you know, let them yell mm. and then kind of calm down. We, and we talked for a little bit, you know, tried to explain because we, are, we do ask people to kind of put their grief on display. And I, I said to her, the, the two kids, and, and, and I believe this, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk, but some people do. Yes. And some people have something that they want to say. And, you know, we can give them a way and a place to say it uh, if you do it right. And if you don't want to, that's fine. Right. Um, Yes. And but maybe you do. Um, And they listened and and we chatted for a while. And then when when that was done, the the father came back out and said, you know, well, you did something for me and now I want to do something for you. And they all sat down and they did in their first interview. Wow. And that was the beginning of a long relationship because we went all through the trial. And like I said, they became advocates for overhauling the, the emergency system in the city. And and I did, I don't know how many stories on them over the years. And then, so the final part of that is at one, I don't know if it was a year later, two years later, at some point in the trial, it was... Um, uh, his name was Eddie Pollock was the boy's name. It was his birthday. And I had included that in the report I did that night. And his father wrote me this beautiful letter about just how much he appreciated what I had done for his family and the kids and for remembering his son's birthday and this piece that I put on the air. And that letter I, I treasure. It's, oh. It sits in the box with my Emmys and my other awards. It's just wow. it's more meaningful than than for someone to write that letter. Now, now, speaking of Emmys, tell me about that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I guess the the first Emmy I won was for a story we did on the inauguration of President Clinton. So when was that? Early '90s, I suppose. And so we're a Philadelphia station. The inauguration is happening in Washington D.C. We were the B or the C team that day. I, I don't remember, but but we, my team and I did not have proper credentials to go to a giant inaugural event in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So so we had to take the train down, carry all this equipment, lug it all over the place and had a no access pass to anything. Oh, God. So it's like, well, what, what are we going to, what are we supposed to do? We were, we were a small organization. I don't know if someone didn't do their job. I don't know, but there we were. So it's like, okay, well, here we are. When we're on the train, we noticed it's like, well, look at all these families that are just loading their kids onto the train because they want to go down and be part of this piece of history, right? Yes. So we glommed onto a family and followed them around all day. And it was like, this is what it's like if you go to the inauguration with no access. <laughs> having access to everything. And it was like, because we had we had no choice. You know, we we didn't we didn't have anything else to do. It turned out to be a wonderful story. This was this was the true sidebar. This was how the average American was going to experience this this event that you could sit home and watch on TV. Um so, so a now, real original, different view on the standard news story relating to that sort of thing normally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, so that was, that was fun. It was, it was a long, hard day and and it was rewarding to put together something that was so well received. And then, and then, and then to be uh, nominated for the, for the award was great. And we had the award ceremony and these were, actually, these are regional, regional Emmys in our, in the uh, mid-Atlantic part of the States. And don't you downplay getting an Emmy, Missy. And by the okay. way, more importantly, what kind of dress were you wearing for that? Well, um, what was I wearing? You're going to make me go back to the photo archives now, too. Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, the one. The, you know, remember when things television so glamorous, right? Well, maybe if you're in the studio, but if you're out reporting, right, you're, <laughs> you've, got, you've got a decent shirt on with, you know, pants and shoes you can run in and whatever all, all, all else. Really nothing glamorous, you know, putting your makeup on in the van. I mean, nothing glamorous about it most of the time so this one time one day a year you could dress up with your colleagues and go to this lovely black tie event that's uh, that is that is incredible you must have been so proud it was it was a, a wonderful moment and and speaking of downplaying so we all got up there and i decided you know i i'm a, i'm always the one in front of the camera let someone else speak so i let the i let, the, I let my photographer speak uh as the winner and he got up there and basically said we deserved this. We worked so hard. <laughs> we had to run all over Washington without 
<laughs> Which is far more interesting than the stock standard, you know, yawn, boring speech. It was. It was. It was hilarious. It was. It was a moment. Yeah. Wow. Um, did have a good time. And did you did you say you won more than one? I I, I won four. Yes. Four. So, and I am proud of that. And you're right. I shouldn't downplay it because no. uh, um, even regional, you have to. You know, not a lot of people have them. And and yeah, I think it's more now. It's. I mean, local news is so important and it's just dwindling everywhere so yeah where do you keep your emmys <laughs> well since since i got married and moved to new york we're we're in a 400 square foot apartment up there so right now they're in a box and in the attic at my no, mother you need to put so, them somewhere special yeah they they were they were displayed on on a shelf in my office when I had an office and got packed up when I moved to the Caribbean and uh, actually really never made it back out of the box <laughs> to a <laughs> shelf. You're right. They they should be. So I'm going to do that today. Good, good. Send me a photo so I know you've done it for real. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Please check up on me. <laughs> yeah. Now you've you've got this clearly massively successful career. But all of a sudden, or maybe not all of a sudden, maybe it's been brewing away in your head, you decide to up and leave and run away to the Caribbean. Why? <laughs> um, so there was one little interlude in between, which was I left television and went to work uh, in, in public relations briefly for a, a new um, performing arts center that was opening in Philadelphia. That was sort of not by choice. That was a case of being forced out of my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was hard, you know, today, today you would call it a toxic work environment. Back then we just called it, you know, working in television in the eighties, if you were a woman, right. It was uh, a story not worth going into, but I ended up leaving a career. I did really love um, because the environment had become too awful and it was just easier to find something, something else. And I landed in this fantastic job because it was a a brand new performing arts center that actually did have a little element of glamour to it. I still was working with the press because we were getting press for this new opening. But in a lot of ways, that was I I tell people that was a harder decision than moving to the Caribbean because I spent my whole career working to be a reporter. And that was so truly how I defined myself Mm. and sort of, you know, so here I am like in my late 30s. If I'm not a reporter, you know, what am I? Right. Um, but I made that switch and I said it, it worked out brilliantly. But after, you know, I did that for about three years and it wasn't, my heart wasn't completely in it. That wasn't really a passion. And um, at the same time, I had a massive breakup. It was heartache, heartbreak took mm. me to the islands, which I guess is probably top three reasons. <laughs> for people, people, people do. Yes, exactly. We're not native. Yes. So, um, so I had been seeing someone that for several years that I thought I was going to marry. I wanted to have children. I was in my late thirties. I, you know, I was out of the TV business, but I had a job that had a little bit more of a stable schedule. So great, perfect for starting a family, all of that. And then um, that whole relationship kind of imploded after September 11th. He was another photographer who was fine, but came back from being up there that day, just a changed person. And, and I, I, I mean, as hard as that must have been for you, I could I could see how that that could change you. Certainly, you know, m- your mental stability. That's for sure. Yes, yes. Um, so then, at some point, you know, we split up, and so there I am. You know, I'm in this job that I've I've done for three years. Things are pretty pretty settled. I, I've done a good job there. My personal life is going nowhere. And, um, and I had a, a friend, you know, my inclination would have been work more. Okay. This will get me through the next, you know, mm. months of heartache. And I had a, I had a friend who was a scuba diver and had been a new, sh- and not, as was I, and she knew she'd been bugging me since I, since I met her to go on a, on a diving vacation and I've been putting her off. And then after the breakup, you know, she's like, you know, you need a vacation, you need a vacation, you need a vacation, you need a vacation. And she kept bothering me. And finally, I, I handed her my credit card. I said, here, book whatever you want. I'm in. Good for you. And she booked uh, a scuba diving vacation uh, in the U.S. Virgin Islands in St. John, which, by the way, I had, I had never heard of. I didn't know anything about the Virgin Islands. And so we had this trip planned. And we're uh, we're on our way 
we're on the day we were the day we started the vacation we had to connect through puerto rico and so we flew from philadelphia to puerto rico we're in the airport at puerto rico and found out that there had been layoffs at our place of work and <sighs> one of our dearest other friends lost her job so it's like oh this is horrible you know ellen lost her job and we get down there it's like well you know what are we going to do we need to do something for ellen we're here on vacation we need to do something what can we bring her back to, to cheer her up you know mm. it's like well she doesn't she doesn't what is she, she doesn't need a sarong she doesn't need she doesn't need a bottle of rum what is ellen needs a job hey let's find ellen a job while we're on saint john <laughs> So Lisa, so it starts as this joke, really. I mean, it was, you know, we'd go out and we'd do our scuba diving during the day. And then at night we'd be, you know, we'd be shopping and dining and whatever. And and say, like, you know, do you have any jobs? Our friend needs a job. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd start chatting up the bartender or the servers or whoever. And everybody had a story, right? So yes. you start, you know, you, whether it was people who um, were, um, uh, who were from the islands, who just, loved where they lived or as people who relocated there, you know, the expats, whatever, everyone had some amazing story about how they got there or how much they loved living there or why they loved living there. It was like, we're always looking for good help. And then they would say, you know, here's my boss's cell phone number. <laughs> and by the end, of the day, it was kind of like, well, this sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so the, 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 the wheels started turning for you too, yeah. at that point. Yeah. I, yeah. I, other than the kind of I mean, I think maybe there was always going back to the childhood dream. Oh, one day I'd like to be rich and live in a big house by the water somewhere. But this, you know, thing that a lot of 20 somethings do, you know, go down and waitress and live in, you know, live in the islands, have this adventure. That wasn't me. I was the driven one. I was going to school. I was working my two jobs. I was I was on a, I was on a track. So in a weird kind of way, you 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 did what the 20 somethings did, but you just did it a little bit later on in life. Yes. So when you do this, when you move, when you quit your job and move to the Caribbean, when you're almost 40, you find <laughs> you're in a small subset because you've got all the, all the young people, all the 20 somethings, and then you've got the retirees. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sort of squashed so, in between. Yes, exactly. So. <laughs> now you and I uh, met through uh, a guy that you had started dating. Can you tell me about <laughs> situation <laughs> <laughs> you know lisa you're 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 in a in a group i, I have a, i have a group of women friends that i all of whom i met through through men who are no longer in the picture right it's kind of like, oh yeah i met her when i was dating so and so he's long gone uh, and, and she and i are still fast friends so at least i can say they were good for something they yeah. uh, managed to attract these other fabulous, fabulous women. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember how we even met. I think I had, I'm pretty sure it, it, it was, it might've been on the Willie T, um, which I, I is, is the Willie T still existing? Because I, yes. I feel like I'm reading different things. Definitely still existing, um, alive and kicking. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It could have been the Willie T. But you and I didn't. I I think it was at a. I was sailing in a in a regatta. It might even have been the Virgin's Cup, which was an all women. Oh yes, regatta, and I was sailing with some friends from Saint John, and then I had two two other friends who were not on the boat, who were both who both lived on Saint John, and who both were dating men in Tortola. So that was there were a lot of jokes there about you had you know you had to get your passport stamped. If you wanted to get any action, so, <laughs> so staring back and forth. So I think they decided I needed to be dating someone in Tortola as well so that we could all go over together. And they they were there ahead of the race. So they were parting long before the boats came in and um, and might have met this guy who's, whose name we'll keep out of this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, for many uh, reasons. For many reasons, <laughs> yes. And now, uh, did, did you meet Deborah? Oh, did the three of us work together on the same boat, including yes. the man that shall not be mentioned? Yes. So you're the, the, for the people listening, we have <laughs> the past girlfriend, the current girlfriend, and the chef that now works with this particular person, Captain. <laughs> Very interesting dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> but again, who's still friends? The three we are. <laughs> and, and I'm guessing, are you still in communication with Deb? Um, uh, on Facebook. Yes. Yeah. So, 
amazing. The, I- the two of you uh, to this day, and I'm not mentioning his name, I swear to God, I don't know what he had going for him that appealed to both of you. But you are both, both of you are incredibly driven, intelligent, stunning women. And I, I just for the life of me couldn't work out what was the attraction towards him. But, you know, I, I'm glad that you did date him because I got to meet you both. Yeah. And I will say, you know, when I first moved to say again, being so right and heartbroken and, and, and almost 40, and I moved to this place and one of the, in, one of the first things the the locals said was, you know, oh, you know, new new women in town. It's like uh, the odds are good, but the goods are odd, right? <laughs> uh, the dating pool was pretty thin. Uh, so maybe that answers your question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, yep, I understand. <laughs> Which still goes, I think, for uh, for my single friends of our age in the island. Still, it's da- I mean, dating's hard anywhere for women of our age, and. Uh, it seems to be e- even harder. Even yes, harder exactly. So, so you 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 did a bit of work um, on yachts. What else did you do while you were based in St. John? So when I my 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 original plan was to get a job on a dive boat. That's what I was hoping to do. Um, and uh, at that time, all the the dive shops and the dive boats left out of Cruise Bay. A bigger town on the island, and we—I I moved down with this this other girlfriend of of mine, and we couldn't find a place to live there. So we ended up living in Coral Bay on St. John, which is, as they said, the other side of the island. Mm. And <laughs> and uh, it's like, okay, well, you know, we can get waitressing and bartending jobs, and people down there were saying that's you know that's there's there's always always waitressing jobs there you'll make more money doing that then that give you more free time to go diving for fun and I, never mind that I'd never had a waitressing job <laughs> <laughs> so that was so that's what we ended up doing and um I was lucky enough to get to talk my way into a waitressing job with no experience which I you know by all rights I, I never should have had but um <laughs> but uh but I got lucky and and I worked um at skinny legs on St John which was was and is uh, kind of an institution there. Um, And then met all of these people who were sailors and I had never sailed a day in my life. So it's, um, it's like, well, I guess maybe I'm supposed to learn to sail while I'm here. That's how I ended up going down the sailing route. And did you enjoy that experience? Oh, it was, it was amazing. I mean, that's, Lisa, I just wrote a book about it. <laughs> Guess that answers that question then. <laughs> yes, the long end. That's that's the short answer and the long answer, right? It was it was an incredible experience. It changed it changed the whole course of my life. I mean, you know, here I was, this person who I would have said very practical. I like to have things planned out. Um, you know, I mean, I'd done a bit of traveling, but not not a lot. Some in college when you had your summers off and some time to go, but you know, if you're scrapping your way through a career, um, certainly in the U.S., there, there's you don't get time off. No, yes, so, I've never understood the the short vacation time that Americans get. You know, the rest of the world, most of us get six weeks a year, and I think, how on earth do you even get a chance to get anywhere outside of the country when what is it normally two weeks that you might get? Yeah, yeah, and um, so. You know, on the one hand, can say, "Oh, well, you know, we have, we're so guilty of this sort of smaller worldview." And on the other hand, it's like, "Well, it's not exactly like you have time to right. get on a plane and, you know, see the other side of the world." Um, and, you know, I I had a good job and had enough money and certainly had the privilege to do to do traveling. Um, and and just hadn't right. So you get to this this point, you say, well, "What have I been doing for the last twenty years besides working?" Mm, exactly. So and then you get and then so right so now here I am working with all the twenty somethings who are waitressing and they've been everywhere, <laughs> right? Been, you know they've they've just come back from their you know their three months in Thailand and they're you know they've they had jobs in Alaska and they've been on charter boats working here and there and these are these are jobs I didn't even know you could have. So it it's was, incredible what's out there and you're just completely unaware until you. Yes sort of fall into this new lifestyle. Yes. 
So, so that was very eye opening. So, you know, so when I first moved to St. John and, and I'm, and I'm learning to be a waitress and, uh, and wanting to learn to sail, but you kind of had to wait because it's winter and you learn that lo- local people don't get in the water. In yes. December, even though it's beautiful. Exactly. Uh, and kind of sort of evaluating the lay of the land to see like, okay, there's, there's a lot going on out there. Exactly. Um, now yeah. we touched on this just a couple of minutes ago, but it relates to you being in St. John. You have just um, published a book and it I believe tells the tale of your time in St. John or in the Caribbean. Can you tell us a bit about that? So yes. Um thank you for asking. I'm so excited. This is my first book. Congratulations. I- That's amazing. <laughs> I'm 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 holding it. I'm holding it up. I know that this is a podcast, <laughs> but I'm but it because it's so exciting to have it in my oh, hands. I, I'm so proud of you, Mar- Margie. That's just amazing. Thank you, Lisa. When I moved to St. John, I really I, I really went down with the intention of this is uh this is a break, right? I've I've been working kind of nonstop for 20 years. I've had a big change in my personal life. I don't know what I want to do next. Um, I didn't want to go down and look for a, a journalism job. I wanted to do something totally different, which I did. I was I had the waitressing job. You know, the, some of the charter work came came later once I figured out that was a job. But um, I was writing little emails home again, pre, right, pre, uh, pre-smartphone, pre-social media. Mm. Um, but I had an email list and I would you know, write little dispatches because how could I not? Because it was just such a different world. Yeah. And I think it was maybe my, I don't know, it, was, it wasn't my second week there when I met the editor of the, of the new newspaper because St. John's a small place. There's 4,000 year round residents and and uh, and I'm and I'm laying low. I I don't you know I, I'm just a waitress and my and my roommates like she's a reporter. She has four Emmys. You should hire <laughs> to write for you. And and he asked me to write for the paper, and I said no. I said, you know, I like the paper. I like what you're doing. It was a new kind of. It wasn't new so much as kind of a an arts and entertainment um, uh, venture. The St. John sometimes, and. I said, you know, I'm here. I want to do something different. I'm meeting all these people who used to be bankers or, you know, uh, accountants or or whatever they did back home. And now they're working on boats and they're cleaning houses and taking a break. And that's what I want to do. And he's like, I totally understand. Mm. Uh, and then he refused to go away. Right? And then I keep running into <laughs> him. And he kept trying to trick me, you know, like, we must have some good story ideas. And I was like, you could just sit there and look around and de- and see ten story ideas. I mean, it was just the, it was just too easy. It was a gold mine. Too easy. So he's like, well, come on, you must be writing some emails home to your friends to tell them what's going on. I'll pay you to publish those. Wow. <laughs> so I didn't give him stories in that form. I, I I did shape them up, but that's how it started. So I did start writing these stories. And, and and I loved it. And it was a very, it was much more creative than, than what I was used to doing, kind of doing these news stories on deadline. And, and I got some nice response and people would say, oh, you know, after a while, you know, you hope you're holding on to these, you should write a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I saved everything, but didn't really think of it that seriously. And also, you know, this is pre, and stop me from going on too long, pre, pre smartphone, also pre non-famous person can write a memoir but do you really think that's true i mean so many people there's a lot of memoirs out there that are just your regular people that just have this incredible story to tell not back then not back then okay so let me i'll tell you this story you'll if you if you're thinking about memoir writing so i'm sending these stories that have are kind of interesting stories about about a place and the people i'm meeting but also you know what i'm going through my friends are reading it. They're interested because they know me. And I had a, another friend back home, another former journalist who quit her job covering you know, crime to open a yoga studio. Um, wow. She, she has an amazing story, too. And she said, oh, there's there's a woman I know from yoga who's um, who's just written a book. Uh, it's kind of like the stories you're writing. Um, she, you would love it. I'm going to send it to you again before Amazon. Right. We couldn't we couldn't just order anything up. It was hard to even get books down there. Mm. So right before I did my first transatlantic sale, she sent me this book, which I read while I was on the boat crossing the Atlantic. And it was a hard copy of Eat, Pray, Love. (laughs) And 
I'm reading this book, which no one had read at that time because it was new and thinking, well, I guess people do want to read these kinds of stories. I remember going home after that and looking for this book in the bookstore because I'd never read anything that was so kind of personally told. Mm. And, you know, the books on the shelf next to biographies of Eleanor Roosevelt and, you know, Amelia Earhart. And, right. right. I mean, it, it was it was such a kind of outlier at the time. And now now it's everywhere. Yes. Um, and you're right. So many I mean, ordinary people, that, that was my first life, right? Interviewing, you know, the best stories were not the celebrities. The best stories were, you know, regular people doing amazing things. Absolutely. So then there started to be this market for that kind of book. So, well, okay, well, I, I think I have that kind of book. I, you know, I, I, I was of a certain age. I have, you know, great stories about this place that I lived and um, all these other people that I met. And, you know, I learned to sail. I sailed across the Atlantic in a 30-foot boat. I don't, you know, not too many people have done that. No. That's pretty, you know, so maybe this is something. So, I, you know, it took years to kind of put it all together, but I finally did. And, um, and I had just finished and just started to pitch. And it was, I want to say, <laughs> literally the last week of August in 2017. And, you know, on September 6th, 2017, Hurricane Irma hit. Yes. And and so I've just finished writing this basically, you know, love letter to this place that really changed my life, just changed the course of my life, the way I, I look at things, uh, what I was doing with my life. And, and, and now I didn't even know if it was still there. I mean, it's just, you know, it was devastating what happened in the oh, islands. Horrible, horrible. I think it's certainly here in the BVI, you know, people are still battered and bruised emotionally from that experience, aside from the fact that, you know, the island looked like an atom bomb had landed on it. Um, yeah, that's that's something that's going to stick around this area for a very long time, forever, probably. Yeah, right, yeah. right. It's We're talking we're now five and a half years later now. And mm. so uh, I went back um, after that. It was actually... Um, a, one of my mentors from my TV days, I, I wrote an essay about um, about what happened down there right after the hurricanes because it was it was not making it was not making the news up here that there had been um, damage in in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And an old an old mentor of mine, you know, wrote me a note and said, you know, this is this is your story. You you need to go down and tell this story. Uh, you know, my first reaction was, well, for whom? <laughs> like, there's, I'm not on TV anymore. I don't have a platform. I had, I was trying to get some interest in, 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 in the hurricane stories up here without a whole lot of luck. And, uh, and he said, you know, just, it's, it's your story. So over the course of the next year, I went back um, numerous times my the book that I had finished, you know, I sort of here's here's a year in the life, right? You move, I've moved to this new place. Here's what it's mm. like the first year, and so I went back to kind of parallel that experience. Here's what it's like the year after two back to back Category Five hurricanes hit, you know, yes. and to kind of find out what happened in the immediate aftermath because we didn't even really have the stories of what people went through, and then and then what happens after that, you know? Okay, you know. The news is over with. The cameras leave. You've seen the pictures of the devastation. It, you know, people's lives are destroyed. How, yes. how how long does it take to come back from that? Do you come back from that? Right. Uh, what happens to paradise? The book took a turn. I mean, there was there was I kind of redid things with more of a focus on all of the uh, the hurricane stories that didn't get very far in the publishing world. And then my my, my final version is kind of a hybrid. It's got both has both stories in it. So it's so it's my memoir, but it's kind of a hybrid because it tells all these other hurricane stories as well, which I thought were important to tell. Absolutely. And and what a, an, an original um, take on a, on a story just to, to have it like that. I think that's pretty incredible. But for those that are wanting to uh, get their books published, how difficult a process is that I would expect? I, I, I know personally because I've done it with my cookbook, but for others out there, um, can you explain to us? <laughs> that's that's probably worthy of a, of an entire other podcast. Yes. Um, I'm self-published uh, or as as we'd like to say now, independently published. Yes. <laughs> 
to answer your question, the process is is difficult. Um, it's it's highly competitive, and I tried to do a traditional publishing deal, and you know I, I've got a spreadsheet of rejections, and there's there's I I, I guess. There, there's a good story in there too. I mean, it, it's always hard to talk about rejections, right? And I, yes. But I think people should talk about it more because <laughs> so many of us go through them and that's Absolutely. what you learn. It's, it, it's, you know, I, I, to me, it's always inspiring to hear how did people fail before they succeeded? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I learned, again, from my time, you know, my, my adventurous time in the Caribbean was different ways of doing things. And, you know, it's, there are alternatives and, you know, with every person that said no one wants to hear uh, another hurricane victim story or no one wants to hear this, like, well, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think maybe there are people that want to hear these stories. I think Absolutely. maybe there are people that want to hear my story. And I think there are people that want to hear these other stories. And, you know, I'm a writer. I can write the story. I've worked in public relations. I can promote the story. <laughs> yes. I've met a lot of people along the way who are interested, they can help. Uh, so in a lot of ways, I feel that my, all of my experiences kind of combine to say, yeah, I can, I can do this on my own. Right. With a lot of help from other people. Let's, you know, let's try it. Okay. The book is now on sale. And with all the promotion I'm doing, I'm trying to just say, you know, if you've, if you like, if you read it and you like it, if you've ever read my stuff and liked it, please consider sharing it because that's what independent authors and independent publishers have to do to get the word out. Absolutely. Now, um, the title of the book. The title of the book is Not on Any Map, One Virgin Island, Two Catastrophic Hurricanes, and the True Meaning of Paradise. Wow, that's a great title. That, that's fantastic. I mean, that draws you in instantly just in that in that wording. That's so good. Uh, and and Margie, how can people get your book? Um, they can get the book uh, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, anywhere that you buy books. The book is available. Fantastic. And is it in uh, ebook format as well? Yes, ebook uh, and uh, print paperback version. Fantastic, and I know you can't see it on the on the podcast, but I have to give a shout out to my. Uh, there's uh, three artists who were in, involved. Um, Billy Denise Wright did the cover art. Uh, William Stelzer did the cover design, and Brian McKinney did a map that's inside. Uh, all three of them, I know from St. John. Two of them are uh, survivors of Hurricane Irma uh, and Hurricane Maria, and, and uh, they just did beautiful work wow uh, that's in the book as well now for that reason alone everyone needs to go out and uh buy this book so they could see the beautiful artistic imagery that i actually have seen and you write it is beautiful thank it's you excellent now i'm going to jump a little bit forward going into the food side of things since i'm a chef and we tend to talk about that on this podcast if you were holding a dinner party, I know this is a question that gets asked sometimes, but I love the answers. If you were holding a dinner party and you could invite anyone living or dead, who would you invite? <laughs> this is another one that I think one day I'll have the perfect answer because there's just because my my brain goes all all over the place. But I have, I have two thoughts. The first one is I'm not even sure I could eat. If I was at a party, these people <laughs> that I most wanted to sit with. So that would, so it almost would have to be two separate things. But um, I've recently, recently been the last couple of years, been read the books, listened on audio, actually, the audio books of uh, a number of female comedians. So, uh, so we're talking Tina Fey, Amy Schumer, um, Mindy Kaling, uh, Amy Poehler. And oh, that would be an amazing dinner party. So they're these right. So they're brilliant, so smart, so funny. Yes, um, I'm going to say more or less our age. They might they might be a little bit younger, but but in in the general category. General, yes. And 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 one common thread besides being so so funny and smart is how hard they worked. Just yes, all the way through. Um, and uh, so I think it would be fascinating and fun to hear all of those stories. Um, and and I'm also recently kind of very interested in in knowing how a writer's room works because that's an experience I've never had. Like I've worked collaboratively. That would um, be so cool. 
with photographers and other ways of storytelling where you're sort of complementing each other. I've worked with really good editors, but this idea of like the writer's room where you've got, you know, a number of people all working on scripts and script development. And I have no idea how that works. And I would just. It sounds uh, fascinating though. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. So you got to, you got to have two dinner parties. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um. <laughs> And this, this next question is a question that I, I ask everybody. You've won the lottery. Money is no object. You can charter any type of yacht and you can go to any destination in the world. What type of boat would you like to be sailing around on for the week and whereabouts? Well, it's absolutely um, a, a sailboat, a sailing yacht. Yes. And my first destination would be, um, <laughs> notice I said first, am I allowed to say that? Yeah, I, yeah, you won the lottery. You can, you can go all year uh, if you want. But the South Pacific. Beautiful. Uh, French, French Polynesia, um, you know, it's, oh, that, that's, I've never been, and that's top of my bucket list. Uh, and again, just sort of, you know, it's, it's hard to get there. People, people are so generous uh, to me to say, you know, oh, she's been all over the world. She sailed all around the world. And, and I just want to say, look at a map. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I've i gone pretty far, but not even halfway around, you know, and uh, I just, uh, uh, yeah, the South Pacific is just tops on the list. And I think by boat is the only way you, you could really truly see that area, right? So, Oh, definitely, for sure. Have you been? Uh, I not to um, Tahiti. I almost um, took a job when I was back in Australia that would have had me sailing around Bora Bora for a week on a not a sailing yacht but on a motor yacht. Instead, the boat moved to Fiji, so I went. I flew in for eighteen days and cooked on a hundred foot motor yacht around the Fijian islands, which uh, wasn't too shabby, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I could handle it. It was all right. <laughs> no, I'm underplaying it. It was incredible and beautiful and stunning. And I, yes, I would definitely like to go to Tahiti, whether it's working on a boat or um, as a guest on. And for me, I'm a princess. So I'd like to go on a mega yacht with a three-tiered pool, an indoor spa, and <laughs> all the crew would have to be male Italian supermodels just saying that's what I'm putting out there. <laughs> Doesn't that come with the territory? Don't all the crew have to be male Italian supermodels? <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, for people that um, want to follow you on social media or any type of websites, uh, how can they do that, Margie? What, where do they need to go? Um, so they can go to my website, which is margiesmithholt.com. And same, my author page on Facebook is the same, Margie Smith Holt. And then uh, on Instagram, it's at uh, Ms. Margarita One. Love it. Margarita One. Love that. That is such a cool title. <laughs> and and I'm guessing on all those platforms, you've got details again on how to, to purchase your book. Yes. Yes. That is fantastic. Margie, you truly are an inspiration. I know I said this at the beginning of the podcast, but I'm just in awe of everything that you've done and and where you're heading now. I think you're an incredible person and I'm just so grateful that you took time out of your day to, or your morning, to talk to me today. Lisa, thank you so much. You are most welcome. I can't uh, wait to read the book and everyone out there needs to get a copy like today. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great day, Margie. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Before I go, if you'd like to hear more information on today's podcast or you have any questions at all for me, you can contact me at my website, lisamead.com, L-I-S-A-M-E-A-D.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can even follow me at Chef Lisa Mead on Instagram. Until next time, I'm Chef Lisa Mead, and you've been listening to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef.